episode 83. Steamy, steamy nights with sunny, quick days. Happy birthday, Jess. It's a podcast. Greetings and welcome in to the Patuxent General. I am your host, Jess. This week at the Patuxent General, the pop-up general store at the Patuxent Village Farmer's Market, we couldn't help but notice an abundance of tomatoes and basil. The large cantaloupes were ready to burst. The farmer's tables were filled with vegetables, fed by all this extra weather. At the end of the day, I noticed leftover misshapen giants of all kinds, big things that folks found intimidating. Well, I am here to help you out. Any of these lovely veggies can be stuffed. You just have to know how. This week, we conquer tomatoes. They come in all at once, so you're going to need options. I have a cocktail made with cherry tomatoes. They come a million at a time. And stuffed tomatoes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I couldn't see any end. I will have something for everyone. What about the cause, those violent storms? We also talk a bit about lightning and what Rhode Island and the world did about it through the years. But first, this just in. In the realm of Patuxent true crime, it has come to the general's attention that the flowers in the flower boxes on the bridge keep being ripped out. And I'm not talking about a flower for your sweetie. I mean roots and all. I have to say, these folks that take care of these boxes not only pay for them out of their own hands, but keep them up seasonally so that everyone can enjoy them for free. Please don't let folks vandalize our village and help out if you can. Thank you. But first... I must thank our Patreon subscribers. These soon-to-be-rewarded-with-new-content-and-pre-autumnally-seasoned folk are the Macintosh Apple, Crisp Pear, Snappy Blueberries, Mountain Huckleberries, and Whipped Sweet Cream that is the Harvest Fruit Salad that is the Patuxent General, without whom we would be hungry. If you would like to be the apple of my eye, simply follow the links in the show notes or look for our page on Patreon.com. Are you ready for Inagata da Vida, baby? Bon Appetit features Justin Cardwell's cherry tomato-based drink in the Garden of Eden. He says, I love the way the flavors of strawberry and tomato meld so seamlessly together. Rye whiskeys, especially Bullet, have beautiful spice and pepper notes that help bring out the soft and fruity nature of the tomato, while still bringing something to the party. The vermouth adds just a touch of sweetness and herbal notes that give depth and character, and the cocktail deepens as you sip. The front palate is all fruit, while the back and middle of the palate get the tomato berry flavors. For this cocktail, you will need four to five cherry tomatoes, sweet 100s or similar heirloom variety, two medium strawberries, two ounces bullet rye whiskey, three quarters of an ounce sweet vermouth, two dashes orange bitters, one teaspoon simple syrup. Muddle your tomatoes and strawberries in a cocktail shaker. Top with whiskey, vermouth, bitters, and syrup. Add ice and shake to combine. Double strain into a coupe glass and garnish with a cherry tomato. Enjoy.
let's talk about tomatoes. This is a delicious time of year. Harvest is coming in and fresh tomatoes are one of the special blessings. Often folks overlook the misshapen or gigantic tomatoes. Not me. I cannot resist stuffing these beauties. You could start simply, just to get you started, like egg salad, tuna salad, or Greek salad. But let me tell you, this is only the beginning. You could check out episode 24, in which we stuff zucchini. You could use the same stuffing without pre-cooking the tomato and bake them that way. Today, you get three recipes for the price of one. We will stuff tomatoes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. To start our filled tomato day, something easy and a little slow, so you have time for coffee. This is a savory baked tomato and egg in an onion ring. Topped with Parmesan cheese, you can serve this by itself on a slow morning or with your favorite protein and toast for a fancy brunch. You could also prep this in a baked dish the night before and add the egg and throw it in the oven in the a.m. This is also a great candidate for baking on your grill. Think about it. But let's make this the easy way first. For this recipe, you will need a baked dish just bigger than your tomatoes cut in half. Since we are talking about odd-shaped tomatoes, some of the ingredients may need to be adjusted, but we don't mind making changes on the fly, do we? For this recipe, you will need an onion as large as the tomato you want to stuff, a tomato, any large size, cut in half horizontally, fresh basil, one chopped tablespoonful, one tablespoon freshly grated Parmesan, two tablespoons olive oil, two jumbo fresh eggs, and salt and black pepper to taste. Preheat your oven or grill to 350 degrees. Pour one tablespoon of olive oil into your baked dish and roll around your tomato halves to coat the bottoms. Scoop out a spoon size of tomato pulp to fit in your yolk. Slice two rings about three-quarters of an inch thick out of the onion and sit your tomatoes in them to not slip around. Then, salt and pepper as well as the other tablespoon of oil. Slip this into the oven for half an hour. This gives you time for coffee or sides that you may want or an episode of the Patuxent General or both. When 30 minutes pass, take out your tomatoes and add the basil, eggs, and then Parmesan. Cook for another six to nine minutes depending on how well done you like your egg. I go for six because I like to dip toast into the yolks. Mm. For lunch, I'm going to attempt Julia Child's Tomatoes Provençal. I find this goes well with a Cobb salad. Julia Child's recipe can be found in Mastering the Art of French Cooking, Volume 1 by Julia Child. Tomatoes Provençal. Julia's recipe serves six people, and for this recipe, you will need six firm, ripe red tomatoes, about three inches in diameter, salt and pepper, one to two cloves minced garlic, three tablespoons minced shallots or green onions, 4 tablespoons minced fresh basil and parsley or parsley only, 8th of a teaspoon thyme, quarter of a teaspoon salt, a big pinch of pepper, a quarter cup olive oil, 1 half cup fine white dry breadcrumbs, a shallow oiled roasting pan just large enough to hold the tomatoes easily in one layer. She would ask you to preheat your oven to 400 degrees. Remove the stems and cut the tomatoes in half crosswise. Gently press out the seeds and the juice. Sprinkle the halves lightly with salt and pepper. 
Blend all the ingredients to the left in the mixing bowl. That is the garlic, shallots, basil, thyme, salt, pepper, olive oil, and breadcrumbs. Correct the seasoning, and then fill each tomato half with a spoonful or two of the mixture. Sprinkle with a few drops of olive oil and arrange the tomatoes in the roasting pan, but do not crowd them. Shortly before you are ready to serve, place them in the upper third of your preheated oven and bake for 15 minutes. Or until the tomatoes are tender but hold their shape and the breadcrumb filling has browned lightly. Enjoy. For stuffed tomato dinner, we have so many options. Sausage, mac and cheese, cheeseburger, lobster, Greek salad with gyro, or clam chowder served in tomatoes having baked in the oven. Mm. But I chose Rhode Island's spicy, stuffy tomatoes. It may be some extra work, but the wow factor. They must be made the day of, and I think would go best on its own in a little bake dish. For this recipe, you will need four giant tomatoes, the tops removed and the juice squeezed out, one half pound quahogs shucked, or 12 clams also shucked, one half cup unsalted butter, one half link linguisa sausage, one half cup chopped yellow onion, one quarter cup finely chopped celery, one quarter cup finely chopped red bell pepper, one garlic clove minced, nine ounces stale baguette processed into coarse breadcrumbs, one tablespoon chopped fresh thyme, two tablespoons chopped fresh flat leaf parsley, one half teaspoon kosher salt, one half teaspoon black pepper, a few parsley sprigs for garnish, and lemon wedges to put on the side. Preheat your oven to 400 degrees. Place the clams in a single layer in a very large pot and add enough cold water to come up to the back hinge of the clams, five to six cups. Cover and bring to a simmer over high. Reduce the heat as needed to maintain a low simmer. Cook until the clams open about five minutes. Remove the pot from the heat and uncover. Let stand until clams are cool enough to handle. Remove the clams from the pot, reserving the broth. Discard any unopened clams. Remove the clam meat from the shells. Finely chop the meat and set aside. Melt the butter in a large skillet over medium. Add the sausage and cook, stirring occasionally until the sausage has plumped and released its red oil, about one to two minutes. Remove the sausage with a slotted spoon and transfer onto a plate lined with paper towels to drain. Add the onion, celery, and bell peppers to the skillet. Stir to coat in fat. Cook stirring often until the vegetables are softened, about eight minutes. Add garlic and cook stirring often, one minute, and then remove from the heat. Add the chopped clam meat, sausage, breadcrumbs, thyme, and one cup reserved clam broth to the skillet and return to heat over medium. Fold to combine. Cook until just heated through, about a minute. If mixture is too dry, add remaining one cup of broth, a quarter cup at a time, as needed. Mixture should be moist, but not wet. Stir in the parsley, salt, and black pepper. Divide the stuffing among the tomatoes on the prepared baking sheet, about a quarter of a cup loosely packed each. Bake in a preheated oven until the tops are sizzling and golden brown, about 20 minutes. And there you go. Serve with parsley and lemon, and you can't help but enjoy.
I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball, EM pinball, and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego, too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Over the past couple of weeks in the village, we've had some pretty extreme weather. I myself was caught in a car during a terrifying electrical storm. I felt helpless, even with all the modern world around me. It made me wonder about Rhode Islanders of the past and the fear of lightning throughout the world and in time in general. Come to find out, our local folks had an answer called a lightning splitter. A lightning splitter is an architectural design referring to the wood-framed homes with sharply angled multi-story gable roof. The sharply angled gable was believed in local Rhode Island folklore to split or deflect bolts of lightning. Architectural evidence suggests that new constructions and modifications of existing homes to the style were predominantly in the mid-19th century. By 1980, the number of surviving lightning splitter homes was believed to be about half a dozen. The unique style arose in and around Providence, Rhode Island, and it is unfortunate that they didn't work. But this is a battle that has been fought for a long time. The National Weather Service has this to say about lightning. From the beginning of written history, lightning has fascinated mankind. It was the magic fire from the sky that man captured and used to keep warm at night. It kept the savage mammals away. As primitive man sought answers about the natural world, lightning became a part of his superstitions, his myths, and his early religions. The Bible says, When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain, and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. Early Greeks believed that the lightning was the weapon of Zeus. Thunderbolts were invented by Minerva, the goddess of wisdom. Since lightning was a manifestation of the gods, any spot struck by lightning was regarded as sacred. Greek and Roman temples often were erected at these sites, and where the gods were worshipped in an attempt to appease them. The Muslims also attributed lightning and thunder to their god. The Quran says, He it is who showeth you lightning and launches the thunderbolts. 
Scandinavian mythology alludes to Thor, the Thunderer, who was the foe of all demons. Thor tossed lightning bolts at his enemies. Thor also gave us Thor's Day. In the pantheistic Hindu religion, Indra was the god of heaven, lightning, rain, storms, and thunder. The Maruts use the thunderbolts as weapons. Umpandulo is the lightning bird god of the Bantu tribesmen in Africa. Even today, their medicine men go out in storms and bid the lightning to strike far away. The Navajo Indians hold that lightning has great power as in their healing rituals. Sand paintings show the lightning bolt as a wink in the thunderbird's eye. Lightning is associated with wind, rain, and crop growth. As late as the early 1800s in Russia, when rain was wanted, three men climbed a tree. One would knock two firebrands together, the sparks imitating lightning. Another would pour water over twigs, imitating rain. Third would bang on a kettle to attract thunder. And throughout early Europe, church bell ringers would make as much noise as possible, hoping to scare away the storms from the holy dwellings, which were struck frequently by lightning. During the Napoleonic Wars, more than 220 British tall ships were damaged, not by the French, but by lightning. The solution, of course, was to install lightning rods. Since that device had been invented by a rebel colonist named Benjamin Franklin, His Majesty's Navy steadfastly refused. It took till the 1830s before an admiralty finally saw the light and forgot about the old colonial rebellions. Even Santa Claus gets into the act, with his reindeer Donner, Thunder, and Blitzen, Lightning. Early superstitions were observed as cause and effect, which now has been fancified as science. Socrates said, That's not Zeus up there, it's a vortex of air. Genghis Khan forbade his subjects from washing garments or bathing in running water during a storm. Thales, the Greek philosopher, in 600 BC, rubbed a piece of amber on a dry cloth and noted that it would then attract feathers and a straw. William Gilbert, court healer to Queen Elizabeth in the late 1500s, also used amber to duplicate these earlier experiments. He named this Via Electrica, after Electra, which is Greek for amber. He didn't know it, but he was demonstrating static electricity. Lightning is a big spark, static electricity on the giant scale. Machines for creating giant static electricity were invented. The Leyden jar was like a thermos bottle which stored volts. Friction machines could charge the jar and the electricity could be carried around and demonstrated. Electric magic was in great demand in the royal courts of Europe as entertainment. The parlor tricks amused and fascinated people. Science was in its infancy during these times. Sir Isaac Newton had proposed that the basic mathematical laws were the foundation of understanding for the forces of nature. With electric magic, there was insufficient experimental investigation to explain its behavior. Science was in its infancy during these times. Sir Isaac Newton had proposed that basic mathematical laws were the foundation for understanding the forces of nature. With electric magic, there was insufficient experimental investigation to explain its behavior. In 1746, 
Dr. Spence from Scotland came to Philadelphia. He demonstrated some electric magic to an audience, which included the local postmaster, Benjamin Franklin. Franklin was curiosity personified. At age eight, he left the Boston Grammar School, ending his formal studies, but only beginning a lifetime of learning. He was endowed with a strong urge to investigate his world and a great deal of self-discipline. Franklin invented bifocal glasses and the Franklin stove. He was an expert swimmer, a vegetarian, multilingual, and a publisher. His Poor Richard's Almanac sold 10,000 copies a year in the colonies. At age 42, Franklin sold his Philadelphia printing business and became involved in social experiments like the American Revolutionary War and the Declaration of Independence. He dabbled in the electric Leyden jar and pondered questions such as how many small electric jars would kill a chicken? How many large jars for a turkey? Why did an electrocuted turkey taste better than a conventionally killed bird? What is lightning? Why is it burning down churches? Can it be captured in a Leyden jar? Can it be captured to earth safely? Then came his kite and key experiments in 1752 and 53 and Franklin's deduction that lightning was electricity. This was followed by his lightning rod invention, its duplication in France and its use throughout Europe. Franklin was a celebrated figure in his time. He had been called America's patron saint of common sense. Perhaps had he not been close to the French royal court and been able to influence France to finance the American Revolutionary War, we might still be a colony of England. Think about that, Patuxet Village. Now it's time for me to say once again, thank you for joining us today at the Patuxet General. If you would like to reach out with a comment, question, order, or local ghost story, our email is jess at patuxetgeneral.com. Please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you and we'll get back as soon as possible. But until then, I'll meet you right back here next time at the Patuxet General. Something for Posterity Production, pre-recorded in Patuxent.